your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, welcome. Another week in the uh, COVID era, and uh, life goes on. I wouldn't say that it is uh, anything near normal, but uh, it's amazing what we get accustomed to, right? We're getting accustomed to putting on a mask when you go into a store, and uh, there's mounting evidence that this helps. It cuts down the risk of uh, infection. Uh, there are some bit optimistic notes that we are hearing about uh, vaccines. But again, as I've said before, uh, vaccines are a long way off. And also you have to remember that vaccines are never 100% effective. So if you're getting you know, 60, 70% efficacy with a vaccine, you're uh, doing pretty well. If you have any questions that uh, have arisen, anything else you want to talk about in the world of science, 514-790-0800. You can also text us at 514-800. And of course, we can talk about uh, all kinds of things. It does not have to be related to COVID because, uh, let's face it, there are a lot of things that we have put on the back burner. But life does go on in other areas. Uh, not everything is focused on um, on COVID. So if you have any questions about anything, certainly we can uh, discuss them. Uh, also, tomorrow uh, I will do my uh, monthly talk at the Eleanor London Public Library, but of course it cannot be live. It will be on the web and uh, it will be live streamed at 2 o'clock we're going to be talking about detoxes, detoxes and all the silliness around that and what is legitimate and what is not. And I think the way to get in on this is to go to the Eleanor London Library website tomorrow and there will be information there on exactly how you can link in at 2 o'clock and uh, watch what we're going to discuss. Also, of course, there's plenty of information on our website at www.mcgill.ca slash OSS, uh, not only about COVID, but uh, of course, about all kinds of other things as well. <clears throat> this morning on our trivia show here, I posed a question. I went back to 1911 for this question when Procter & Gamble introduced Crisco Shortening. And uh, that name actually derives from uh, crystallized cottonseed oil. And the question that I asked was, what process made that crystallization possible? I think that was a pretty straightforward uh, question. That process is hydrogenation. That's the process that turns a liquid fat into a solid. Well, this process of hydrogenation was discovered back in the late 1800s. And it involves passing hydrogen gas through an oil, in this case, cottonseed oil, in the presence of a catalyst. That catalyst is usually nickel. We use the term catalyst all the time. And, you know, sometimes when you're so used to talking in the scientific realm, you forget that not everyone is familiar with such terminology. A catalyst is just a substance that can speed up chemical reactions. It cannot make a reaction happen that would not happen in its absence. So the only thing that catalysts do is alter the rate of a reaction. And in this case, uh, nickel alters the rate of the hydrogenation uh, because the reaction actually takes place on the surface of the nickel. Anyway, fats are very interesting molecules. 
And uh, of course, it's difficult to talk about molecular structure on the radio, but uh, maybe you can uh, uh, picture something like a fork with the, uh, uh, the three um, uh, bits of the fork that stick out being the three fatty acids that are linked to the back of a glycerol molecule, which is the rest of the fork. And um, these uh, fatty acids, as we call them, are <clears throat> composed of long strings of carbon atoms. And if there are some double bonds joining some of those carbon atoms, then the fat is said to be unsaturated. The term unsaturated refers to the fact that it does not have any it does not have as many hydrogen atoms in its molecular structure as it can possibly have. Carbon atoms can form a maximum of four bonds to other atoms. So if two carbon atoms are adjacent to each other, and instead of forming a single bond, they form double bond to each other, that means that they are only joined to three other atoms. So they are not joined to the maximum number of atoms to which they can be joined. They can pick up other atoms such as hydrogen. And when a hydrogen atom attaches to each of the carbons that were previously linked in that double bond, then the double bond becomes saturated with, um, with hydrogen. So when hydrogen gas is bubbled through a liquid fat, these double bonds break and each carbon forms a bond with hydrogen atom. And then the molecule cannot further react with hydrogen, is now saturated with it. The difference between a saturated fat and unsaturated fat for all intents and purposes is that saturated fats tend to be solid and unsaturated fats tend to be liquid. Well, back in the early 1900s, cotton ginning mills were very happy to have someone haul away the cotton seeds that were left over after cotton was processed. These seeds uh, can be pressed and uh, they will release an oil. And Procter & Gamble had the idea of turning the liquid oil into a solid that could be used for soap production. Soaps are made from fats. It's a very straightforward process that uh, goes back to antiquity. And if you have any kind of a fat that is uh, 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 reacted with a base like sodium carbonate, and sodium carbonate is uh, found in the residue of wood fire, so in the old days, they would take the ash from a wood fire and react it with uh, uh, animal fat, and that would form soap. Uh, so uh, Procter & Gamble thought that uh, they could make a solid fat that could be turned into soap uh, readily by hydrogenating cottonseed oil, and in fact, that worked. But the company at the time was also selling lard as shortening. And shortening, of course, is used to make uh, baked goods. Shortening is a fat that gets in between gluten molecules, or well, gluten is actually a mixture of proteins in, in, uh, in some cereal grains, and uh, these proteins can link together to, to make this network called gluten, and that's what uh, promotes elasticity in, in dough. And if you don't want such elasticity, you want something to get in between these protein molecules and reduce the formation of the uh, three-dimensional gluten network. And fat molecules can do that. And this is where shortening comes in, the term shortening actually deriving from, from uh, the fact that it can make the uh, uh, protein molecules that would normally form gluten shorter so that they don't form uh, the gluten. 
And uh, it turned out that the hydrogenated cottonseed oil was very effective at shortening. And they started to sell that as a food item and gave it the name of Crisco, shortened form of crystallized cottonseed oil. And of course, in those days, not much was known about nutrition. And uh, they didn't realize that this hydrogenation process also forms a type of fat called a trans fat. It was much later that we would learn about this and that trans fats drive up cholesterol, which increases the risk of heart disease. So today, Crisco is no longer made from hydrogenated fats. Uh, it is uh, made from a mixture of palm oil and some liquid oils. And you don't have any trans fats in there, but you still have saturated fats from palm oil. So there's no getting away from it. Uh, shortening, in one sense, may actually shorten life because of the increase in cholesterol and the propensity for um, uh, heart disease. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We are going to check traffic. And after that, we're going to come back and play our little quiz to divert our attention a bit away from, uh, from COVID. And if you want to get on the line, 514-790-0800. I'll throw you a question. If you get it right, you'll get a second one, etc. Let's check traffic. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, for starters, I have a couple of questions that uh, were left over from last week because they weren't answered. What was the original use for the product that was reborn as Play-Doh? That's one. And the other one, I'm looking for to whom the following quote is attributed. And I gave you the clue that it was a Swiss chemist. As I lay in a dazed condition with my eyes closed, I experienced daylight as disagreeably bright. There surged upon me an uninterrupted stream of fantastic images of extraordinary plasticity and vividness and accompanied by an intense kaleidoscope-like play of colors. So those are the two questions left over from last time. And to this, I'm going to add a new question. So any of the three will allow you to play. What is the connection between Marie Curie and Yasser Arafat? The connection between Marie Curie and Yasser Arafat. Okay, but in the meantime, we have Joyce on the line. Hi, Joyce. Between Marie Curie and Joyce, Arafat. turn off the radio. radio. But in the meantime, we have Joyce on the line. Hi, Joyce. Between Marie Curie and Joyce. Hello, Joyce. Hello. Hi. Yes. Yes, uh, uh, Dr. Schwartz, uh, I bought a Brita filter, you know, the Brita filter, the water, yes. uh, because I find that the, uh, the bottles are, are becoming too heavy for me. So I, I found that it says the water is delicious and everything on it, but after I drank it, I got like a very bad taste in my mouth, and I really did not like it, and neither did my husband. Is there anything else out there? Oh, there are many other filters, but I'm really surprised by what you say because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got know, like I... a, I got like a, a funny taste in my mouth after. It left like a bad taste in my I, mouth. I don't know what that could be. I mean, I've used the Brita filter for 30 years. I've never found any kind of uh, adverse taste. Did, did you did you soak it for uh, the five minutes that you're supposed to soak it for before you in, put the filter into the jug? Oh, I didn't soak it. 
Yes, you have to soak the filter for about five minutes, probably 10 is better, uh, because it will leach out some of the uh, excess uh, carbon particles that oh are Oh my there. God, I can soak it. Yeah, well, soak, so, soak it. And if, if that still doesn't solve it, uh, call me back. Okay, so so is it safe to uh, to soak it now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, take it out and soak it, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Okay, let's go to Sonia. Sonia. Hi, Hi. Dr. Joe. Um, the, 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 in relation to Play-Doh, yeah. would it be a former, like when I was a kid, we used paper mache? No. No, no, no. Okay. no. Play-Doh actually had a, a commercial use. It wasn't as a toy. It was something else. Yeah, I thought it was gross. Yeah. I didn't like the smell <laughs> of it. Okay. Uh, okay, and um, what was the other question you asked from last week now? Uh, the other question was the quote I was looking for who made that quote about a substance that he tasted and it caused him to have hallucinations. Uh, is it plant is it plant worthy? No. It's not plant worthy. No. Okay, just one more question. Yeah. Uh, I was cutting the grass and I found a robin's net, well, some robin's eggs. Okay. And one wasn't hatched, so I blew on it, like I blew it in my mouth and I put a another nest by the tree. And I see the robins. What do you think my chances are? Of it hatching? Well, one was broken. There were three. And I think it was because I was using the weed whacker. And maybe I, I, I did vibration around the tree and the eggs fell out. I'm not sure. It's a farm. Well, unless the robin sits on it, it's not going to hatch. Well, I put the, so I found a nest that I already had. And I, I blew on the egg and I put it underneath that same tree. And I see the robins. So wish me the best of luck. Good luck. Good oh, luck. Thank you so much. You can you can never have to. And, and one more question, yeah. if, if you will. Yeah. Um, the barber shop thing. Yeah. Um, it's coming back to life. Are there going to be inspectors, or are is there going to be a list of how and because the thing is, I used to work on the only time I ever saw you live was Point Claire Barber, uh, not in the barber, but in the mall, which is closed. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I used to work in the barber shop there. And it wasn't hygienic at all. Well, I mean, there's there's all kinds of instructions that have been given to, you know, what they have to abide by. I don't know if there's going to be inspectors going around. Well, there has to be. Yeah. That's a, but, that's uh, a, a job mean, waiting to happen because I was disgusted. At H1N1, I was spraying alcohol on the arms, like in a spray bottle, yeah. on the arms of the chairs because I wanted to keep people clean. Right. Well, the and the hairdressing the salons the are are going to be yeah. It's going to be an issue. It's going to it be an issue. It certainly is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Okay. Let me just go to Jerry. 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 I don't have Jerry, but maybe I have Michael. Michael. Yes, speaking. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the connection between the two is they both uh, won Nobel Prize. Oh, that's <laughs> this is true. This is true. That that is uh, uh, that is not what I had in mind, but that is true. It's a it's a more scientific uh, connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that's yeah. You're, you're you're absolutely correct. They did both win a Nobel Prize. That's not what I'm after too, though. There's, All right. There's another link. I, I think an interesting one. Okay. Thanks. All right. Uh, yeah, it's funny. That's not what I was after, but it's absolutely true. Okay, let's go for John. 
about the uh, Mary Curie and the Arafat connection. Yes. Did they di- uh, both of them die of plutonium poisoning or p- plutonium radiation? Not plutonium, but you're but close. But of radiation. Yeah, but yeah, and you're you're correct with the P. It's not plutonium. It's uh, another element named uh, named after Madame Curie's original homeland. Oh, uh, she was from Poland. Wasn't yes. She? Uh, polonium. So, polonium. Yes. Okay. So uh, Marie Curie, of course, was the first one to isolate polonium, and polonium two ten is a highly radioactive substance, and it is very very poisonous. And this is the uh, the stuff that were, that the the Russians used to uh, kill the, uh, the former uh, uh, Russian in in England. And uh, Yasser Arafat, uh, there was a contention that he had been poisoned by some unknown people with polonium, and his body was actually exhumed, and it was tested for polonium two ten, and uh, wasn't found. So he wasn't poisoned, but this this was the story, and so the connection between Mary Curie and Yasser Arafat is indeed polonium uh, two ten. Very good. Okay. Okay. Thanks okay. very much. All right. So uh, let me then uh, replace that question. We still have the other question about the hallucination uh, out there, uh, but uh, let me replace this. What is the only rock that floats? The only rock that floats. Okay, if you know what that is, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. And, uh, of course, the uh, Swiss chemist. It's a very famous story, actually. Uh, And the hallucinogen that he was talking about, I'll give you a clue. There's a connection to Timothy Leary. Connection to Timothy Leary, the uh, Harvard prof. All right, so once you figure out what that hallucinogen was, then you can maybe figure out who the chemist that I'm talking about is all about. All right, you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We're going to take a break here, check for news, and after that, we'll be back and talk some more science. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, this was a historic week, wasn't it? Uh but 10 days ago, we witnessed uh, basically a murder in front of our eyes. And, uh, of course, we saw the life being squeezed out of uh, uh, George Floyd by the, uh, by the policeman. This is uh, one of the most horrific events that you know, we've seen, you know, sort of live. Uh, of course, by now we've seen it many, many times and... and uh, it becomes more and more horrific every time that that we see this. Then we saw all the demonstrations, and um, certainly uh, uh, these demonstrations reflect not only on this one event, but we have seen many, many such uh, actions unwarranted by the police over uh, decades uh, in the United States. Uh, some in Canada as well. We're not totally, you know, free of blame here. And uh, it really is time to do something about this other than just the pious platitudes of words about how, yes, everyone is equal and we have to make sure no discrimination. But it is happening. And um, in the United States, uh, there's no question that, that uh, white supremacists have way too strong a voice 
the extreme uh, uh, the extremists uh, are uh, out there stoking the fire and uh, the time has come to do something uh, about this and uh, hopefully the demonstrations will trigger some sort of, of coloring of the overzealous uh, actions by some uh, policemen. Uh, of course, there there were also the the uh, riots and the looting, unfortunately, associated with the demonstrations, and uh, that invoked the use of tear gas. Tear gas is is let me tell you, it's bad stuff. I, I know this because uh, I did once work with bromoacetone in the lab. And bromoacetone is one of the uh, possible chemicals that are used in, in uh, tear gas. And gee, you know, you get a little bit of that in your eye and it becomes a very memorable experience. Uh, it takes a while until you can wash it out with uh, water, but you will remember this for forever. The same thing goes with pepper spray. If any of you have ever been chopping uh, hot peppers, and then for some reason touched your eye, you know the pain that it causes is, is just terrible. Well, multiply that by a few orders of magnitude, and that's what you have in the pepper spray that is used in, in, in tear gas. There, there are a number of chemicals that qualify as tear gas because you know the, the idea is, of course, is to make you tear. Um, Chlorobenzyl melanonitrile is another one. It is usually abbreviated as CS. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure exactly which ones they were using in these demonstrations because there are a number of, of as I said, different versions of tear gas available. But uh, all of them are terrible. And you also have the problem that these uh, the canisters uh, that are used to uh, contain the tear gas are launched from uh, basically a gun type of device. And those can hit people. And there have been injuries when the canister actually uh, hit people. Uh, there, of course, are situations where uh, riots have to be controlled. But this, what we saw uh, last week with this, uh, the famous Bible episode where uh, the president uh, trotted out through Lafayette Park from the White House onto that church and then just stood there said nothing, holding the Bible in his hands just to get this photo up. Can't even imagine what on earth he was he was thinking. But uh, in order for him to do this, it necessitated the clearing out of the area. And that was done with the use of some tear gas. And this was totally unnecessary. Uh, it was uh, ridiculous to, to see these peaceful demonstrators be disbanded uh, by force just so that Trump could have that uh, photo opportunity. Ridiculous. Okay, let's get back to, to something that is a bit more uplifting. So let's see if Jerry has an answer to my question. Jerry. Yes, hi. Hi. Yeah, at first when you made the quote, I thought it was Timothy Leary, but then it's the inventor, eh? Albert Hoffman. Yes, it is Albert Hoffman. And what was he referring to? LSD. LSD, right. Lysergic uh, acid diethylamide. Diethylamide. Uh, lysergic acid diethylamide is a synthetic compound. It doesn't occur in nature, but a very similar compound called lysergic acid does. And uh, lysergic acid uh, is produced by a fungus called the ergo fungus, E-R-G-O-T, ah. that often grows on rye. 
and uh, that's why people have been poisoned with lysergic acid when they have eaten contaminated lye. But anyway, lysergic acid can also cause hallucinations, and there was research to see whether or not it can be used medically in the field of psychiatry. And that's what Hoffman was looking for, and he thought that making a derivative of it would uh, uh, destroy some of the side effects and still keep some benefits. And uh, he tasted it one day, and uh, by chance, and he got these hallucinations, and thus uh, this uh, the use of LSD as a hallucinogen was born. So you're quite correct. It was the Swiss chemist Albert Hoffman, who uh, actually lived a very long time. I think he I think he died at the age of 101. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he never did do LSD again. I was going to say <laughs> he know. didn't have a bad trip. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for that. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Oh, and uh, for yeah. the Play-Doh, maybe? Yes. I think it was used as wallpaper glue. Ah, you're, you were almost there with the wallpaper. Oh? It wasn't wallpaper glue. It was to clean wallpaper. Oh, the cleaner. Oh, it was okay. the cleaner. You were to, supposed to rub it on the wallpaper, and that would take off the soot that accumulated. Oh. Uh, yeah. That, so that was the original use of What is it composed of? Do you know, Dr. Joe? Yeah, uh, it's basically a type of clay. It, in, in those days, it was made from from silicates, uh, ah. which is a clay. Uh, I think the, the uh, stuff that they sell today as Play-Doh is, is not the same. I think it's a complex mixture of some synthetics. I'll have okay. to look into that. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Let's go to Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Hello. Hi. So you, you got an answer to one of my questions. Yeah, the rock that floats. Yes. Uh, is it lithium? No, it isn't. Uh, well, first of all, lithium is not a rock. Right? Lithium is a metallic element. Uh, but yeah. uh, we're talking about a real rock. It's a real rock, and you put it into water. It doesn't react with water, but it does float in water. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. All right, let's see if uh, anyone else has uh, come up with that one. Uh, hi, is that, Col uh, who do we have, Colleen? Yes, it is. Hi. Hi there. Um, I think it's pumice. Yes, it is. Pumice is the rock that floats. Very ah, good. And good. Uh, I actually have a big sample of it, a big piece of pumice, and it's quite incredible uh, that you put it on water and floats. You know where else you would find pumice? As uh, What's the use for it? Uh, some sort of abrasive? Yes, or? it's an abrasive. And when you go to the uh, uh, dentist and the dental hygienist cleans your teeth, mm -hmm. which these days, of course, they're doing with great care using masks and shields and everything else uh, in order to prevent the, the splatter, which would aerosolize any virus if there is any. Uh, but what they, are, uh, what they put on the drill is this pumice powder. And the idea there is to rub away some of the plaque that accumulates on, on the teeth. So, so I guess... That's yeah. why you're left with a kind of a grit in your mouth. That's right. After. You can yeah. actually feel the grit in your mouth. Right. Yeah. You can also get a piece of pumice um, uh, to clean your barbecue with. And it's a pumice stone, it's called. And you can even uh, uh, use it on your feet to rub away calluses. Okay. Yeah. So pumice is, is very interesting. Okay. Thanks for that. Thank uh, we got some good answers there. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll check traffic and be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Oh, hey, let me go to Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Okay, in the, uh, one day, Tyson, the, the astronomer in New York City, he saw James Cameron walking on the sidewalk, and he approached James Cameron and said, James, 
there's something wrong with your movie, and here's how you can correct it. What was wrong with the movie that Tyson we're, we're Tyson saw? So, we're talking Titanic, the movie? No, well, it, uh, it was about the movie Titanic, but in the fabrication of the movie, the technicians got something wrong about the movie, and Tyson said, he told Cameron what was wrong, and Cameron collected it, uh, corrected it. Corrected it. <laughs> you got to give me a bit more clue. Uh, what uh, what aspect of the movie? I mean, some uh, the, the the background, if you if you like the background to the story or to the not to the to the to the movie. It's not the not the story, but it's a technical detail. Want to know it? I don't know. Okay, Tyson had um, said that the background, the sky was with the southern star southern cross in the sky the southern cross is a uh, is a constellation right right from australia let's say right so and uh, course, james cameron yeah. he say he went to the labs and they changed it back to northern hemisphere sky well i would have never got that i can tell you okay. well, all right you but, have a question for me yeah i have a question for you okay. i'll give this to you within five years what year was the first email sent 1980? No. It was, believe it or not, earlier. 1971. Oh, wow. First email in 1971. All right. I'll give you another one. Okay. What color is at the top of the rainbow? Uh, infrared, ultraviolet. Which one is it? Infrared? Well, the infrared is not in the rainbow. Rainbow is only the color that it, you well, see. Of course, but it's outside the, the rainbow, as is... Uh, so what the, is the, 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 the t color that you see, the first color that you see on top of... Uh, so, like, you know, when you see the arc of the rainbow, yeah. what is the color at the top? Uh, orange? It's red. Okay. It's red because right next to infrared, right, which you uh, don't see. Okay. Yeah. So it's red, violet, indigo, blue, green, orange. There's a yeah, little yellow. expression with that. Roy G. Bigel? Yeah, Vibgior is the, the way that I remember it. I remember that from uh, high school. And I could could I just make another comment? Yeah. Very short. In publications in the radio, I always hear the expression that means that the word chemical is seen as poison. Yeah. To most people, chemical means poison, but that's not what it means. Absolutely not. Well, I hope I hope my listeners don't think that that's what it means. But you're quite right. I mean, in in common language, very often that's that is the way that it's interpreted. Yeah. Uh, you have a question? Okay. Another? You want another question? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. Um, after whom was the Edsel the car named? The son of Henry Ford. Very good. What happens at a temperature of 451 degrees Fahrenheit? Paper burns. Very good. All right, you're too good. What does a lepidopterist collect? Um, honey? No. Okay. Okay, I got you with that one. All okay. right. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. So we will leave that. What does a lepidopterist collect? Uh, these days, of course, we uh, watch a lot of TV, at least I do, because... I mean, we're not going to movies, we're not going to the theater, so what are we uh, uh, left with? And uh, I just finished watching the Romanovs. Excellent thing, excellent series on uh, uh, Netflix. And, of course, uh, Rasputin plays a big role in there. So let me tell you a little bit about Rasputin. Grigory Rasputin, the mad monk, very powerful man in the court of Tsar Nicholas of Russia. This uh, illiterate Siberian peasant with stringy hair, tangled beard, and strong body odor 
established his position in the Romanov court when he apparently saved the life of Alexis, the Tsar's son, who was wasting away after a minor blow to his thigh. Alexis was a hemophiliac, thanks to a gene he had inherited from his mother, Alexandra, who was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria. Rasputin told the Tsarina that the way to save the boy was to keep him away from the clutches of the doctors and pray for his life. The advice turned out to be sound, because as soon as the doctors ceased their prodding and probing, the internal bleeding stopped. The most important thing that they stopped was the giving of aspirin. Aspirin had been first introduced 1899 by uh, the Bayer Company, and because of its success in taking away pain, they were using it for everything, including for hemophilia, which is ridiculous, because if anything, aspirin makes you bleed. So when Rasputin told the doctors to stop using aspirin, that, of course, had benefits. So uh, this, of course, entered him to the Tsarina, and uh, she and the Tsar became indebted to Rasputin. But Rasputin's growing influence and bizarre behavior aroused a great deal of jealousy and concern among members of the court. They frowned upon the monk's belief that to be absolved of sin, one had to first commit sin. The greatest sin, the great forgiveness when the sin was renounced. Indeed, if a young female penitent had not sinned enough, Rasputin was more than willing to help. The final straw for Rasputin's enemies came when the Tsar began to take his advice on political matters. Under the leadership of Prince Yusupov, a scheme was hatched to eliminate the demonic clergyman who had already developed a supernatural aura after miraculously recovering from a stabbing. The conspirators would take no chances. They would poison him with cyanide. Yusupov enticed Rasputin to a party where he was served chocolate cake laced liberally with potassium cyanide. The cleric ate and ate, but to the horror of the onlookers, nothing happened. Was this fiend really possessed of supernatural powers? The conspirators panicked, and one of them shot Rasputin in the chest, point blank. When Yusupov bent over to see if Rasputin had finally been dispatched, the corpse got up and began to chase him. Two more shots rang out, and the monk finally slumped to the ground. He was then dragged outside and thrown into the Neva River, where, according to later autopsy, he finally drowned. Why had the cyanide not done its job? After all, it is a notorious killer. Cyanide inactivates one of the most important enzymes in the body, cytochrome oxidase. This enzyme catalyzes the prime energy-producing reaction in cells, namely the one between glucose and oxygen. There is no energy to run vital organs like the heart and the lungs, and death rapidly ensues. One possible explanation is that the schemers had used an old bottle of potassium cyanide, and the contents had become inactive by reacting over time with carbon dioxide from the air. This is a well-known reaction, by which potassium cyanide slowly converts to potassium carbonate and releases hydrogen cyanide gas into the air. The uh, whole story was actually very, very well portrayed in, the, uh, uh, in that episode uh, on Netflix about the Romanovs, and I would encourage you to, to watch this whole series because I think it is historically very, very accurate, 
and it portrays a, a fascinating period in the life of uh, Russia, just prior, of course, to the 1917 Russian Revolution. And unfortunately, the whole Romanov family uh, met an end at the hands of, uh, of the revolutionaries. Uh, nobody survived. Uh, you know, there are stories about Anastasia possibly having survived one of the daughters. But there's no truth to that. And uh, we, we have survived another week here of COVID and another show. And that's that. We have run smack out of time. But we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.